Hello, EB Online Church family. Hey, wherever you're watching us from, whether it be at home, someone else's back porch, whether you're out in a park somewhere today, thanks so much for making us part of your day. We're walking through a section in our Bibles that's called Acts, and we are attempting to answer what we are saying is the now what question. What do we do when we just don't know what to do? Because every aspect of our lives has been impacted by the extraordinary rate of change brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. Since everything from the way that we shop to the way that we learn, to the way we interact with others, even to the way that we worship, since these things have so quickly changed, well, now what? We're all wondering, what do we do next? After all, how should we respond to the political and economic, technological, social, philosophical, and spiritual changes that are sweeping our society? To find direction and counsel, we've returned to some very well-worn pages here in our Bibles. This week, while putting together the thoughts for our study, I, I stumbled across something that I'd never, that I'd never really looked at close before. It never caught my attention. And it was like discovering the prize in the box of a Cracker Jacks or finding that $10 bill when you're cleaning out your, that little console that's in your car. It, it's almost hidden right here in the text, and it's only two words. And I know I've read this passage a hundred times. Like many of you, I've seen this over and over, but I've just missed it. And perhaps in the past, I passed over it in the excitement of the moment, too focused on what was coming. Maybe the words got lost in all the Holy Spirit hoopla or just drowned out by the call to be baptized. But this week, well, I highlighted it in yellow and I underlined it in red. Look in Acts chapter 2. Now you read the first six verses about the Spirit of God empowering the apostles and, and then you ponder over how, well, you would react. If you had been one of the thousands of Jews who witnessed that miraculous moment, would you have asked, well, what does all this mean? Or have you have concluded that the apostles were just a little tipsy? Now you go a little bit further and get your pen ready and don't rush past verse 14. The verse reads like this, Then Peter, now stop. Don't read any further, all right? Now, I know you want to keep going, but don't be content. I messed up. Can you believe that? Man, I messed up right in the middle of all this, even though I've got something right here on the teleprompter. I, I, I messed it up. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep going, and we're going to try to give a second chance. You ready? Look again. Verse 14. Then Peter. Now stop. I know you wanted to race right past it, right? You wanted just to rush on to what was coming next, and you were going to miss what gives flesh and blood to the theology that is about to follow. Then Peter. Highlight and underline those words. Say them over and over again to yourself. These are the two words that you and I can relate to more than any others in this chapter. They're the two words that give us hope. These are the two words that prove that there is always, always a second chance. Then Peter. He wasn't a preacher or a politician. He had no formal training. He was a fisherman. Three years earlier, he had been minding his own business, taking care of his fishing nets along the Sea of Galilee when Jesus approached asking to use his boat. He reluctantly agreed to the rabbi's request, unknowing of how his life was about to change. And then since that day, well, he had had return trips to the sea. But the majority of his time had been spent walking, eating, and talking with Jesus. Learning to be fishers of men is how Jesus described the purpose of their time together. And it was during that time together that Peter witnessed Jesus do things that defied explanation. 
He heard Jesus teach lessons that confused and bewildered. He never knew exactly what Jesus would do next, but what he did know was that there was something different about the rabbi from Nazareth, different from the rabbis he had encountered before, different from the religious establishment, different from any other human he had ever encountered. So different, in fact, that Peter decided only one conclusion made sense. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That was Peter's response when after all the miracles and all the teachings, after spending day and night watching this man Jesus, that was how he responded when Jesus looked at him and asked, well, who do you think I am? And, and because Peter believed Jesus to be the Messiah, well, he tried to talk him out of his final journey to Jerusalem. Jesus told him and the other disciples that he must go to the holy city and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed. Now in Peter's mind, the Messiah doesn't turn himself in. The Messiah doesn't allow himself to be arrested. And the Messiah certainly does not allow himself to be killed. But Jesus, well, he just seemed almost to welcome the coming conflict. Peter might not have understood, but he was certainly not going to be left out. He went to Jerusalem determined that nothing was going to happen to his mentor and Messiah. Clutching his sword, he bragged, I will never desert you. But Jesus knew differently. Jesus knew that Peter's bravado was bigger than his belief. Jesus knew that given the opportunity, Peter would choose safety over his Savior. And that's exactly what Peter did. When confronted about his connection to Jesus, he called down curses on himself. May God strike me dead if I know the man. Three times he was asked about Jesus. And three times he lied, defied, and denied. Now that was seven weeks ago. But then... Peter, 50 days after hiding in the shadows, 50 days after making the biggest mistake of his life, 50 days later, Peter stands before crowds of Jewish worshipers and declares that God was in the process of fulfilling his long-awaited promise. The Spirit was present. Jesus was Lord and Messiah. And all who call on his name will be saved. So what changed? What takes a person from denial to declaration? Well, if you've read the ending of John's gospel story, you know that love and forgiveness are what made the difference. Jesus did not view Peter's failures as fatal. Peter's past would not define his future. Jesus asked him, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter is startled. Jesus is referring to him by his given name. He's sitting there looking across the fire. Jesus is looking straight at him. His face is quiet and kind, but what in the world does Jesus mean? Peter looks at the sea, the boats. He looks at his best friends, the fish that are there on the sand waiting to be sold. He had returned to the sea, but his heart just wasn't in it. None of what he saw around him could compare to the life that he had once enjoyed with Jesus. He now knows the truth. And so he looks back to Jesus and stammers, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus, I imagine smiling, tilts his head and asks again, Do you love me? He asks already knowing the answer. He knows Peter's mind and heart, just like he knows yours and mine. Do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Peter knows the love that he has for the now risen Messiah. He knows he loves him enough to die for him, and he will. In fact, Peter is going to die in the name of Jesus and for the sake of Jesus years later, but that's not the question that Jesus asked. 
One last time, the only question that matters. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter flinches. He thinks Jesus doesn't believe him. And he nearly shouts this time, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And just as he speaks, he hears it. Do you? Three questions and three answers. And Peter dares to believe that his, that his every denial is now forgiven and covered by love. By Jesus' love for him and incredibly, his own love for Jesus. Friends, this is the good news. The gospel right here in these words, right here around this fire. Jesus sought out the liar and denier so that Peter would know that his faithlessness, his selfishness, his fear were all forgiven. It's the gospel of the second chance. Then Peter. Not many second chances exist in the world today. Just ask the kid who didn't make the volleyball team or the fellow who got the pink slip or the mother of three who got dumped for a newer model not many second chances, even when you have video sermons. Nowadays, it's more like it's now or never. And around here, we don't, we don't tolerate incompetence. Three strikes and you're out. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Life can seem like a minefield. One wrong move, one bad decision, one momentary lapse of judgment can explode in our faces and change everything. We've all experienced it. The moment that we swore would never come. The choice we said we would never make. The promise we wouldn't break, the line we would never cross. The Apostle Peter had no way of knowing how meaningful his story would become to generations of believers. His story serves both as a cautionary tale and as an inspiration to all of us who have our less than perfect moments. You see, even those closest to God stumble and fall. And the words of Jesus then drift across history. Do you love me? Not... Will you ever turn against me again? Or will you ever make this mistake or any mistake again? Jesus asks, do you love me? And we cry, yes. Yes, Lord, we love you. I love you. And Jesus says, then you are perfectly qualified to do what I have called you to do. Because all who stumble and fall are given a second chance. Then Peter. Leslie Leland Fields, in her book, Crossing the Waters, expresses what's on our heart. She writes, I want to protest, say back to Jesus, do you know how weak we are, how wavering our faith, how limited our love? Are you really trusting us? How can we do this? And she says, I know the answer has already been given through the fish, through the wine at the wedding, through the bread on that hillside, and in so many other ways. He is the God who takes whatever we bring to Him, our destitution, our tiny faith, our small fish, our very human love, and multiplies it beyond measure. God will make our love enough. Peter would later write to the early church and to all believers saying, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. You see, that night around the fire changed Peter forever. And even though you might not realize it, that night changed your life too. So back to Acts chapter 2. Then Peter. He quoted the prophet Joel with his promises of the Spirit and salvation for those who call upon the name of the Lord. 
He told the story of Jesus' ministry and death, and he announced the resurrection of Jesus and his, ascens his ascension, his exaltation as Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their heart, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? They had just been told how they had rejected and put to death the long-awaited Messiah of God. And you thought you messed up royally this week. Talk about blowing it. Was there any hope for them? They didn't realize it, but they asked the perfect person. Peter knew firsthand what it felt like to fail, and he knew firsthand what it felt like to be given a second chance. Then Peter, he told the people the good news. Forgiveness and new life in the Spirit was theirs. Turn to Jesus and be washed in His name. On Pentecost, Peter was the perfect person to share the story of God's perfect plan. Today, hey, that honor belongs to you and to me, to everyone who has been forgiven by Jesus and are filled with overwhelming love for our Messiah. Then, Peter, go ahead, substitute your name and declare the gospel of the second chance. We all stumble and fall, but we all can receive forgiveness with Jesus Christ.